You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island. This is The Crimes That Shaped Our City. I'm your host, Kate Etassi. I was born and raised in Warwick and spent six years of my legal career as a criminal defense attorney in Rhode Island. I'm now medically retired from the law, but continue to be a true crime fanatic, which is why I wanted to bring Warwick Radio Online listeners a podcast series that focused on crimes allegedly committed by Warwick citizens or within our city limits. While I do hope to entertain you with the retelling of these crimes, it's not my intention to minimize or dismiss the negative consequences these crimes have had upon their victims and the family members of those victims. With all that said, I hope you enjoy learning more about the crimes that shaped our city. Welcome back to The Crimes That Shaped Our City. On today's episode, we continue our coverage of the state of Rhode Island versus Kimberly Mawson. Before we begin, I'd like to once again issue a trigger warning to the audience. In this episode, we will continue discussing a form of child abuse known as shaken baby syndrome, including some description of the physical and mental harm caused by the abuse. State v. Mawson specifically alleged that the defendant, Kimberly Mawson, caused the death of her 19-month-old daughter, Jade, in December of 2002. For any listener uncomfortable with or triggered by discussions of alleged child abuse, please feel free to end the episode now and tune back in to Warwick Radio Online next week. Last we left off, Ms. Mawson had been convicted of the second-degree murder of Jade and sentenced to 60 years, with 35 years to serve at the ACI, and 25 years suspended with probation. The sentencing judge referred to her as a, quote, cold-hearted murderer, a dangerous person who refuses to come to grips with the fact that she killed the baby to whom she initially gave life, end quote. In this episode, you'll learn how and why Ms. Mawson was able to get the trial judge to vacate her sentence and set aside the case for a new trial because of a legal term known as newly discovered evidence. This newly discovered evidence came to light in 2010, more than two years after Kimberly Mawson was convicted of murder and sent to the ACI. And this evidence came in the form of a lawyer's statement that his client, Daniel Fusco, had confessed back in 2002 to being the real murderer in this case. You see, back in December of 2002, soon after Jade's passing, both Kimberly Mawson and her boyfriend, Daniel Fusco, went to discuss the case with criminal defense attorney Rick Corley. They asked for help with legal representation, but ethically, attorney Corley knew he couldn't represent them both. Under the Rhode Island Code of Ethics, if, in representing one client, you have to do something that's likely to cause harm to another client, that's called a conflict of interest, and it means you're prohibited from representing the both of them. In this case, the police believed it had to have been either Miss Mawson or Mr. Fusco that killed Jade. The evidence led them to eventually charge Miss Mawson with the crime. So if attorney Corley had been representing both Mawson and Fusco at the time, his defense of Kim would have likely been that Dan was the real culprit. That constitutes a conflict of interest. Corley decided during that first meeting that he'd represent Mr. Fusco because the two had a prior relationship. So he recommended that Miss Mawson get her own attorney, which she did. Within a week or so of that first meeting, Daniel's father, Michael, brought Daniel back to attorney Corley's office. 
According to Michael, the Sunday following Jade's passing, Daniel drove his dad to the parking lot of a church and confessed to him that he'd been the one responsible for Jade's death. Specifically, as Michael later relayed to the police, Dan told his dad he'd been reading the Bible and something just clicked, that he had to confess that, quote, he hurt the baby, he was the one, it was him, that Kim didn't do anything, end quote. He said that he grabbed and pushed Jade and caused her death. On December 13th, 2002, Michael took his son to Attorney Corley's office to discuss the matter. While there, Michael either sat in the meeting with Dan and Attorney Corley or was sitting in the waiting room and could overhear what they discussed. Either way, Mike could hear his son tell Attorney Corley that he grabbed and shook Jade on December 2nd while Michael had taken Kim to Walmart. Michael later told the police that when Dan was making these statements to him and the attorney, Michael felt that what Dan was saying didn't explain the extent of Jade's injuries. He also felt his son, quote, wasn't in his right mind at the time, end quote. And so he assumed Daniel was just trying to take the blame for Kim. According to Michael Fusco, his son never said anything about hurting Jade ever again after that meeting. From December of 2002 until the spring of 2010, Neither Dan, Mike, nor Attorney Corley ever told the police or the prosecution about Dan admitting to hurting Jade. To the contrary, Dan testified under oath at both the grand jury proceedings and later at trial that he'd never hurt Jade, and Kim was ultimately convicted of the crime. Bothered by the fact that his client had confessed to a crime that another person was convicted of and imprisoned for committing, Attorney Corley allegedly spoke about the matter with Michael Fusco several times over the years. According to Mike, Corley told him he'd be willing to give up his law license if it meant he could come forward about Dan's alleged confession and get Kim out of prison. By early 2010, attorney Corley was apparently pestering Michael Fusco so much about the issue, Michael asked his son to talk to Corley about it so he would stop bringing it up. At that time, Mike asked his son why he originally made those statements about hurting Jade back in 2002. According to Michael's 2010 statement to the police, Dan told his father that he never hurt Jade, but he didn't think Kim had either. He said he made those statements in order to try and take suspicion off Kim until the police could investigate further and figure out that neither of them had hurt Jade. Dan called or met with attorney Corley sometime in the spring of 2010 and apparently told him as much. After this interaction between Daniel Fusco and Rick Corley, attorney Corley presumably still believed Dan's confession from 2002 because he then went to disciplinary counsel for the Rhode Island Supreme Court, David Curtin, and told him he had an ethical dilemma. While there is a mechanism for attorneys to call the ethics advisory panel and get confidential ethical advice, unfortunately meeting directly with the Supreme Court's disciplinary counsel was not that mechanism, and was therefore not confidential. After Corley told Dave Curtin about his client's confession, Curtin relayed the conversation to the Rhode Island Supreme Court who then ordered Curtin to pass on the information to both the Rhode Island Attorney General's office and to Kim Mawson's defense attorney. The Attorney General's office then told the Warwick Police Department about it, and they asked both Michael and Daniel Fusco to come down to the police station to discuss Daniel's alleged confession. Michael and Daniel both spoke with the police at that time and gave formal statements, with Mike explaining that his son had originally confessed to him and Attorney Corley, but that he didn't believe Dan had actually done anything to Jade. In stark contrast, during Dan's statement, he denied ever confessing to anyone, adding, quote, There's nothing I ever did in any way, shape, or form to hurt that kid. I never did that, never once, end quote. Based on Attorney Corley's statements, 
the defense filed a motion for new trial based on newly discovered evidence. When such a motion is filed, the trial judge has to act as if they were a 13th juror on the case. They review the trial evidence as well as the newly discovered evidence, consider the credibility of the witnesses when they testified at the original trial, and then decide whether they would have found the defendant guilty or not. In this case, we obviously have three witnesses, Michael and Daniel Fusco and attorney Rick Corley, saying different things about when and where and how Dan allegedly confessed to killing Jade. But before the judge could even consider who he found most credible and whether he believed all or some of what any of the three men had to say about Dan's alleged confession, he first had to decide whether attorney Corley would even be allowed to testify at the motion for new trial hearing. Now bear with me, please. I'm about to get into the minutia of attorney-client privilege, which can get rather confusing. But believe me, it's important to understand why the trial judge ruled the way he did. I think most people understand the basic concept of the attorney-client privilege. Similar to a doctor keeping his patient's health information confidential, an attorney is bound by ethical rules when it comes to what they can disclose about a client to someone else. Generally speaking, if a client tells his attorney that he committed a crime in the past, the attorney is bound to secrecy and cannot tell anyone about the confession unless the client waives the attorney-client privilege, not a soul. Now, if the client confesses to his attorney, but they're standing around other people when he does so, in most cases, that will destroy the attorney-client privilege. You have to be telling your attorney the information in confidence, not in front of others, who could then go and gossip about it to whomever they like. That being said, under Rhode Island case law, if the client has his parents present during a meeting that he believes is confidential, the privilege might remain intact. But that would only apply as to whether the attorney would be bound by the privilege. If the parent decides to tell others about the confession, the privilege is then waived. In this case, the court found that because Daniel didn't tell his father that he wasn't to disclose anything said during the December 13th meeting with attorney Corley, that he didn't take the necessary steps to preserve the confidentiality. And because Michael Fusco later told the Warwick Police Department that his son had confessed to causing Jade's death, that was enough to waive the attorney-client privilege. Because of Michael's 2010 interview with the Warwick Police, Attorney Corley was free to testify about Dan's alleged confession at the motion for new trial hearing. Once Attorney Corley testified at the hearing, the court found that his testimony was credible, and that if the jury had heard his testimony at the time of the trial, they probably would have found Kim Mawson not guilty of murdering her daughter. You see, it was undisputed by the prosecution and defense that Jade was beaten, possibly smothered, squeezed, and shaken to death by someone. According to both the state and the defense, the only possible culprits were either Kim Mawson or her boyfriend, Daniel Fusco. Kim Mawson never admitted to hurting her daughter, saying that at most she held her tightly. If the jurors heard from an attorney that Daniel Fusco had admitted to him that he'd killed Jade, it could have created reasonable doubt that Kim was guilty of the offense. Because of that, the judge vacated Ms. Mawson's conviction and ordered that a new trial take place. Ultimately, the state decided that it would not go forward with another trial against her, so it dismissed the case. According to the Providence Journal, the state also decided against charging Daniel Fusco for the murder. All told, Ms. Mawson spent over two years and seven months incarcerated for allegedly murdering her toddler, and for the last 10 plus years, she's been a free woman. The only person alive who knows exactly what happened to Jade in the months before her death is the person who abused her, and I'm not sure we'll ever know who that person is. It's also important to note that while the inference at trial was that it had to either be Kim or Dan who murdered Jade, that's not the standard the jury had to apply to the evidence. The standard was whether the state proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Kim killed Jade. 
If a reasonable doubt existed that it wasn't Kim who'd killed Jade, the jury didn't have to be convinced that it was Daniel who really did it. They would have been obligated to find Kim not guilty. I think this case aptly demonstrates how the criminal justice system isn't always so black and white when it comes to identifying, charging, and convicting the guilty parties. Sometimes the guilty person or persons avoid being punished or aren't punished that severely in the end. And while that may not seem very just or fair, as the English jurist William Blackstone famously said, it is better that 10 guilty persons escape than that one innocent suffer. We don't want a justice system that convicts people and deprives them of liberty based on hunches and shoddy evidence. We want to be as sure as possible that we're punishing the right people for the things we've proven they've done. Now, I'm not suggesting Ms. Mawson is actually guilty of any criminal activity, including abusing or killing Jade. I'm also not suggesting Mr. Fusco is guilty of anything. I wasn't on the jury, I didn't see the witnesses testify, and I didn't hear Attorney Corley's testimony regarding Daniel's alleged confession. What I do know is that whoever abused and murdered Jade is not currently serving time for doing so, and likely never will in the future. Sometimes that's how the justice system has to work to make sure everyone is given a fair trial. My heart goes out to Jade and her loved ones, as well as all those who've suffered abuse at the hands of their caregivers. And I hope that anyone struggling with raising a child will reach out to the appropriate resources to help them deal with stress and with appropriately and safely disciplining their children. For anyone looking for more information regarding shaken baby syndrome, I'd suggest starting with shakenbaby.org, don'tshake.org, and americanspcc.org, which is the American Society for the Positive Care of Children. We'll list these websites in the show notes for today's episode. That's it for our coverage of State of Rhode Island versus Kimberly Mawson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Crimes That Shaped Our City. Until next time, stay safe, my friends. Thank you for listening to The Crimes That Shaped Our City. Please note that any legal analysis discussed in these episodes should never be considered legal advice. If you're in need of legal advice or consultation, make sure to contact an active licensed member of your state's bar. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode or any suggestions of a Warwick crime to cover in a future episode, feel free to contact me through my website, katherineetassi.com. The website can also be found in the episode's show notes. You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island.